Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com to get it in your inbox every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. Everyone's a bank now. Bitcoin Tech Talk issue number 277. Airlines are a tough business. The customer base is culturally attuned to paying as little as possible for flights. There are all sorts of regulations. It's taxed like crazy, and the capex is incredibly high. Add unions for every job, the vicissitudes of weather, jet fuel prices, and random travel restrictions, and you have yourself a very difficult industry to succeed in. Yet when you dig into how these airlines make money, you realize that they're pretty profitable despite the high costs. Is it because they're innovating at such a rapid rate that they can outpace inflation? No. Is it because they're raising prices constantly? No. The reason airlines stay afloat is due to their loyalty programs. Operationally, airlines actually lose money. Airline prices haven't kept up with salary increases, fuel price increases, and so on. Most of these airlines are operating at a loss and their flying businesses have negative equity. The reason airlines are able to post profits is because of their loyalty programs. Loyalty programs started as a way to incentivize flyers to become repeat customers, but as these airline miles became desirable, other companies wanted to offer them to customers and piggyback on the perceived benefit. This meant that airlines could sell miles to these companies. Those companies, like say a credit card company, could offer them as an incentive to their customers. This is the main way in which airline companies now make money. Yet, what do these miles represent? They can be redeemed for flights or in some cases gifts cards uh, or something else, but they're essentially promise of future goods or what we would normally call credit. Airlines issue credit to make up for the lack of profitability of their operations. In other words, they're banks able to issue their own currency. This explains why they can operate despite not making money. They're able to sell future flights ahead of time in the form of miles. This ends up far more profitable than selling current flights. This also explains why miles programs have gotten worse over time. It used to be that you could book a round-trip ticket anywhere in the continental U.S. for 25,000 miles. Now there are lots of restrictions on dates. You have to book way ahead of time and you get worse seats. The miles in many programs also expire and the amount of miles required have gone up. This is the equivalent of inflation and a way for airlines to discharge the debt they've created by selling so many miles over the years. They're really banks that use transporting people on airplanes as a loss leader to get customers. This is also why governments are so intent on bailing them out, because if they really went bankrupt, all those miles would become null and void, wiping away a significant amount of wealth, especially for people like Mark Cuban. Fiat money, in other words, helps keep this system afloat. These sort of financial shenanigans are where future revenue is brought forward is not only true of airlines, however. Nearly every big business employs some financial tools to make them more bank-like. At a certain size, they all get into some form of financing to spur current demand. Think about all the loans you can get to buy cars, computers, or even phones. The economy has been infected with fiat money that allows companies to play these financial games to make their cash flows look a lot better than in an honest market. The hope of Bitcoin is in ending so many of these weird incentives that exist due to fiat money. So 
Um, I wrote this article, uh, you know, thinking about uh, like after learning about airlines and everything else. Thing is, fiat money has infected absolutely everything. And generally, it means poor service, less innovation, and uh, generally just bad products, right? Like they, they stay static. Think about like airline, the airline industry, um, you know, the flight times for a lot of uh, destinations, like they take longer than they did 50 years ago, which is kind of an astounding thing. 50 years, zero innovation on how to make the air uh, airtime shorter, right? You would think somebody would have innovated, figured out how to go from point A to point B much faster and so on. The thing is, they have no incentive to innovate because the the innovation that they've done is in the financial markets where I think it was American Airlines that started the airline miles programs in like 1981 or something like that. But they've all become banks. They sell their miles to credit card companies and rental car companies and so on and uh, and use that revenue as their way of uh, you know, creating money for themselves, right? Like they, and that it, it brings uh, revenue forward from future demand and so on. This is how they've been able to keep afloat. And this is why so many of them go bankrupt or whatever. And then the government has to bail them out because they're incredibly fragile as a result of this financialization. But they're by no means the only ones. Uh, there are lots of other companies that employ similar style tricks where they will um, you know, allow financing. They have, they're essentially printing uh, money out of thin air by doing that and booking those and having people pay over time and, um, you know, from money that's created out of nothing and all that. It's fiat contagion um, into pretty much every big company. Small companies are much less liable to do this, but big companies do this all the time. And this is a significant part of their revenue and profit. So in a sense, like real capitalism isn't there because all these big companies are benefiting from fiat money. Um, and, you know, this is just one of the many ways in which you can do that. And it's uh, particularly egregious because airlines are airline miles are really a form of an altcoin. And it's a central issue and everything else um, with no transparency or whatever. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Bitcoin. Uh, Pavel Rosnak shows how you can build Bitcoin on Android. This is very interesting as you can easily run Bitcoin in prune mode and it will fit com uh, comfortably within the hard drive space for most of most modern Android phones. An Android wallet that connects to this node would be something a lot more so self-sovereign and uh, something a lot more self-sovereign than say a typical mobile wallet. I'm amazed, by the way, that you can generate APKs like this using Docker. So um, basically, you uh, run run his thing on Docker, and it will compile on Android, and you'll have an AP, APK at the end of it. You can uh, sideload it into your Android phone, and bam, you have a Bitcoin node. Now, you'd have to change just some things, including like making sure that it's running in Poon mode or whatever, but you can run a full node on your phone. Uh, like that, that, to me, is pretty astounding. Uh, just wish that uh, you know your phone allowed you to uh, you know connect to the node that's on your phone or something like that and do it locally and using that um, you know instead of uh, you know calling out to servers or whatever I think those kinds of wallets would be amazing and, or even having advanced settings on uh, the wallets that exist now to connect to those nodes would be incredible. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't seem to, there don't seem to be too many that do that. So 
until then, um, you know, I like I, I would love to run a full node on my phone, right? Like that that would be amazing, especially in Putin mode or something like that. And most of us have like unlimited data at this point anyway on our phone. So, you know, this is a good way to utilize the unlimited capacity for something that uh, that that adds self-sovereignty. Maxim Orlovsky is proposing an extension to PSBT for pay-to-contract use cases. Pay-to-contract, or P2C for short, is the idea that a payment can de be definitely linked to a particular thing that it paid for. So, for example, if you bought a car using Bitcoin, the payment could be linked to a contract that gives you the car for a certain amount of Bitcoin. The way it works is that the hash of the contract is in the tap spend side of the P2TR address, making the on-chain transaction show that the payment is committing to some contract hash. The contract can then be revealed later should there be any disputes. It's clever uh, and integration with PSBT makes a lot of sense as it's a valuable use case. So the way pay to contract works is that you have a contract, you hash it and you put it into the tap spend side of the pay to tap root address. Um, and you unlock it as normal or whatever. But, uh, you know, by adding that tweak point, now you're commit, you're, you're proving that, okay, th this is what it was signed uh, to. And if there are any disputes, no, this person paid me for, uh, you know, this one car and not this other car. Well, you, you have the terms of the contract which specify what the car is. So, um, you know, it, it gives... Uh, less incentive for people to try to play some shenanigans with it. And, you know, having a hash of the contract in there is probably very useful from a legal perspective because you know what was agreed to, and especially if it has the digital signatures or the handwritten signatures or something, um, then then you can, you can go look at it and use it uh, for legal purposes. All right, Lloyd Fournier explains how CTV improves DLCs. OpCTV is the covenant's proposal from BIP 119, which essentially adds a condition on spending that's the, that the transaction it's spent in fit a certain template. The seemingly simple opcode dramatically simplifies the computations needed for discrete lock contracts, which require quite a lot of computation, especially if the contract concerns something pretty fine-tuned, like, say, the Bitcoin price in USD. This is a fairly compelling use case for DLC usability, though the computations are only done by the interested parties and not, say, every node on the network. So uh, the thing about DLCs is that you have to do a lot of different calculations. And generally, it's viewed as OK because it's only the two interested parties that have to do all those calculations. You have to, um, you know, based on what the Oracle says, you, you have to have all of these paths that are computed um, and and so on. There's a lot of point multiplications. Uh, Lloyd Fournier is showing that using CTV, you don't have to do that, and you know which tap script is being spent within the taproot branch that the op CTV is in, and using that, you can you can essentially get it done. So, um, very uh, compelling use case, I have to say. Um, uh, though you know, it's not savings for everybody. Uh, but, you know, like making things simpler is uh, is a good idea, um, and especially for something like DLCs. Brains explains proof of work in layman's terms. The article uses the analogy of a dice roll to bring 
the point home that it's not a complicated math problem as much as it is someone getting lucky. Luck in this case can be controlled somewhat by more rolls of the dice. I still like my analogy that the luck in this case is 76 consecutive flips of heads, but then the dice analogy works, uh, works pretty well. It's just two to the 76-sided die, and you need to roll a one, and each hash computed is a dice roll. So, you know, you, you want to do more dice rolls and so on. I, I, I like their explanation, and I hope uh, people find it useful. Uh, Lightning, Loy Scheinfeld has a bunch of Lightning-related news in Germany, of all places. As he explains, their point-of-sale Lightning solutions are reaching new use cases, in this case, a top-flight German basketball team in Ulm. Apparently, that's a city uh, with very strong, uh, with a very strong Bitcoin presence, with a community of Lightning devotees that rival Bitcoin beaches. They even have a fully functioning Lightning ATM, along with the aforementioned Alzante and perhaps Bedford. This is rapidly becoming one of those out-of-the-way places that Bitcoiners should visit. So, uh, Alm is uh, has a basketball team. I can't remember their name, but basically, they um, uh, they take Bitcoin for all sorts of things. They have a lightning atm so you can you can use uh the lightning network to transact and and so on um uh you know to to get cash or whatever so a really interesting use case and uh you know we'll we'll see uh how much they up their pos game ably is a lightning browser wallet uh the wallet works as an extension on various browsers and allows you to tip creators directly they're using a standard called webln which is a protocol for communication between a web page and a lightning node i didn't realize that webln has had such a big following and it looks like a nice standard if you're looking to work with something on the web and lightning so um i i don't know too much about the product itself but uh it is using webln so you need secure communication from the web and the lightning network ably is uh within your browser so you load it as a uh, a browser extension but it has fields so you can uh connect it to your lightning node and so on so really cool stuff um uh, but yeah it's it's using a particular standard as you know, Lightning and uh, and Web uh, become more and more integrated. LN URL Vend is an offline Lightning vending machine. The way it works is that you scan a URL from the vending machine, pay using Lightning on the website it points to, and you get a pen to get the actual item from the machine. This allows the machine to stay offline and yet verify payment. This is a powerful idea that really needs to be explored more. For example, this would make rentable scooters much easier to run since they won't have to have to continue connect to the internet so um interesting uh you know concept uh, that you can have an offline vending machine and you uh you pay using the qr code that it displays and then uh the based on that qr code and after uh you pay via lightning they give you a pin number you enter the pin number into the vending machine and the vending machine dispenses whatever it is that you bought so a uh, really cool idea, and that that in itself uh, is like the fact that it doesn't have to have an internet connection. It just needs all, all those pin codes would obviously need be need to be programmed in, uh, you know, at the beginning and so on. But it's totally doable, and I can I can see this sort of concept becoming a thing where, uh, you know, you you connect to the web to do the actual payment. But the actual dispensing thing doesn't need it. Uh, and, you know, you could potentially do the same thing um, for like a coffee shop or whatever is, OK, well, you know, pay for a latte right now and then you give them the code, uh, you know, 
to punch into their POS system or something like that, and bam, you get you you get it. It's um, you know, like I I can see this becoming a major thing. Impervious AI has announced a browser. The announcement claims to be Zoom without Zoom, Google Docs without Google, Medium without Medium, WhatsApp without WhatsApp, payments without banks, identity without the state. This is intriguing as we know all the browsers are seriously centralized and depend a lot on selling your data. Instead, it'll have lightning integration built in, perhaps as a way to make the browser less evil. I look forward to the announcement at Bitcoin 2022. So um, the the whole tagline is very interesting. And of course, Impervious is known to be sort of like a lightning company. Can't wait to see what they come up with. Economics, engineering, etc. Arizona is considering a bill to make Bitcoin legal tender. The main benefits would be that the people of the state could pay their taxes and such with Bitcoin, as well as opt to receive their salary in Bitcoin. The idea would be that you wouldn't have to have a bank account or be financially surveilled. Not to be outdone, there's a gubernatorial candidate in Texas running on a platform of making Bitcoin legal tender in Texas. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, I'm not so sure about state level legal tender. I'm not even sure if that's constitutional or not, but they are trying and it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if any of them implement it and so on. And we'll, you know, uh, we'll, we'll go, <laughs> um, Geyser is a Bitcoin crowdfunding platform. Of course, people have been able to post their Bitcoin address online almost since almost the beginning. So it's a bit redundant. But the idea here seems to be to give to worthy causes uh, more and give them more of a voice in a crowded landscape. It's a far cry from 2013 when every Bitcoiner on Twitter seemed to have a tip address hoping that they'd get some tips. Then they all found out that people need a good reason to send tips. Using the crowd to discover good reasons seems to be the play here. So, um, you know, the thing is, like, a lot of people, like, just post addresses hoping, okay, well, people just tip me money because, you know, I just need one rando to tip whatever. Nobody sends money for no reason, right? Like, you, you actually have to provide value, and tweeting is not usually providing much value. Um, although, you know, lightning tips are a thing. Uh, but, you know, like I, I have a lot of followers. I, I barely get like a lightning tip every week. You know, like that's 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 about the frequency. Uh, the thing is, uh, you know, having a good cause and having a reason actually matters. And that's, uh, I think, what they're going to f be focusing on. Trezor is removing AOPP as a sparrow. AOPP stands for Address Ownership Proof Protocol, and it's a way to prove coins being sent out of exchanges are owned by the same person. The argument for AOPP is simple enough. You don't want users to get hacked out of their coins, and AOPP forces additional hurdles, perhaps enough to thwart some thieves. The arg argument against it is that AOPP is a standard that other jurisdictions can easily add, making coins much less fungible. As such, AOPP supporting wallets have decided to pull their support. So, uh, you know, they, both bo both these guys got like railed on Twitter about uh, about AOPP and why why are you doing what the government tells you and so on. So. They're both pulling it out, um, and I think that's the right decision. Arthur Hayes argues that we're in for quite a bear market. His analysis goes through the political implications of various scenarios, especially in the credit markets. As he explains, the market is right now bottomless because the marginal sellers are the investment houses who took a position in the past year or so. In other words, the institutions are the weak hands that may need shaking out before we can head higher. I don't know if I agree with his analysis, but it's thoughtful, and I do agree that the, for this Administration seven percent unemployment is much is a much bigger threat than seven percent inflation, which means there's probably more money printing ahead. So uh, Arthur always has uh, very interesting 
perspectives on his uh, on his blog. And this one is all, uh, you know, he basically argues that it's bottomless. Um, not sure I agree, but it's worth reading. You can hold Bitcoin in a bank account now. This is a bank in Flushing, I think, that's uh, using NYDIG for that. Um, we'll, we'll see how Bitcoin banking develops. Look at all the Bitcoin developer bounties. So somebody compiled it on GitHub, so you can see all the different bounties you can get as a developer. If you want to de-Google, this is something you should look into. So uh, it's uh, it's a way to do self-hosting of Google Contacts and Calendar. I hope uh, Umbral, Start9, start using that or something to that effect. Amazing how these centralized altcoin foundations call the top. So <laughs> that's about Ethereum. They seem to have sold the top. Um, and when you control that much of the supply, you, you, you can basically call the top whenever you want. There seems to be a regulatory attack against Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, this is uh, a little bit concerning. It seems like, uh, you know, there's a lot of FUD going around. Everyone seems to be singing from the same song sheet and so on. Um, we do seem to be getting manipulated in some way. Uh, as a as a country, another week, another scam changes its name to avoid all the negativity around its old name, and that is of course ETH 2.0. That's now changing its name, uh, much like Mastercoin had to change its name to Omni. Um, you know, there's too much baggage on ETH 2.0, so they decided to move on. Yeah, not a great look, guys. Uh, events: Bitcoin and the American Dream book launch is happening in Washington D.C. on February 10th. Come join me and meet the other authors as well as some influential D.C. people for the event. I am in London for Advancing Bitcoin, March 3rd and 4th. I am also going to be at Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April 6th through 8th. I'll also be doing the Programming Blockchain Seminars in London, March 1st and 2nd, and Miami, April 4th and 5th. Podcasts, etc. On this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert about what's happening in El Salvador. We talked about their history, the economic impact, and the freedom from the IMF that they're experiencing. And I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find. I was on Stock Showdown to talk about Bitcoin. And the latest book is Bitcoin and the American Dream. My other books are The Little Bitcoin Book, Thank God for Bitcoin, and Programming Bitcoin, all of which can be found on Amazon. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor to the company and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin-native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. All right, Fiat Delenda S, this song is done.